Hey, it's Bartender Journey, episode number 106. Thank you for listening. This is the podcast that talks all about bartending and spirits and cocktails, and I'm glad you came to join me today. Well, yesterday was an interesting day. I was invited to a cool event at Keene's Steakhouse, and it was run by Paul Packle, and uh, he is considered pretty much the... uh, top spirits critic in the world. Uh, He runs the Spirits Journal, which comes out quarterly and rates uh, spirits. And uh, he's a fascinating guy, super nice guy. And uh, he was involved, he's involved with the Bar Smarts course. But um, he kind of took it upon himself uh, with a few other partners to uh, talk about rum and the the great um, bargains that are out there in rum and uh, the the great quality stuff, more more than the bargains, about the great quality. And he thinks we should be talking about rum right up there with scotch and uh, bourbon and uh, other fine spirits. So this project doesn't have a uh, particular sponsor, but it's funded by many different rum companies. Uh, so it's it's pretty impartial. And it was it was a fun event. There were uh, about probably 100 people there at Keen's Steakhouse in Manhattan. And uh, we had 13 different uh, spirits to try. And uh, they were we thought they were all going to be rum, but he tricked us twice. He, uh, you know, he, he he wouldn't tell us what it was until after we tasted it. And uh, uh, first uh, along came a uh, bourbon. No, first was a cognac. Um, not first, but you know, mixed in there in the along with the rums was a cognac. So he just uh, just to keep us on our toes. And then uh, later on in the progression, there was a, a bourbon as well. So uh, the uh, the cognac we mostly uh, mostly everybody got it. We were pretty sure that that was not a rum. Uh, and the bourbon we kind of fell for it. I tell you, <laughs> no, I don't think anybody in the room got it. But uh, that was fun. And then later the same day, I went down to an event at the Brandy Library and. And there, Simon Brooking, the brand ambassador for Lafroig, was pouring uh, some good stuff, some nice scotches. So we tasted a few of those, five of those, and uh, I recorded a bunch of that. I recorded most of uh, that presentation. It was, you know, informal tasting. And uh, so that's going to be the bulk of the show today. He's originally from Scotland, and he's very good with the toasts. And here's the toast. Here's to fighting, cheating, stealing, and drinking. (laughs) If you fight, may you fight alongside my brother. If you cheat, may you cheat death. If you steal, may you steal another's heart and if you drink may you drink with me slanja to scotland (laughs) shit that was cool i gotta memorize that well that was a fun day between the rum event and the scotch event and there's nothing i enjoy more than hanging out with a bunch of uh, bartenders and cocktail enthusiasts spirit enthusiasts and drinking good quality hooch So the bulk of the show today is going to be from that Tasting with Simon, and we're going to learn a lot about scotch. But before we get to that, I want to tell you about my book of the week. It's Imbibe by David Wondridge, and Imbibe is a classic book about, um, mostly about Jerry Thomas, and there's recipes and stories, and David's such a great writer, and it was just reissued. It came out yesterday, an updated version, and David happened to be at that rum tasting, by the way. <laughs> Meanwhile, my book was in my uh, mailbox at home, so <laughs> I didn't know he was going to be there, but uh, I'll get him to sign it another time. So if you go to my website, bartenderjourney.net, you can see a link uh, where you can purchase this book, Imbibe, by David Wondridge, and you'll be helping out the show a little bit by clicking through that link. 
If you go to my website, bartenderjourney.net, and buy any of the products you see listed there, you'll be helping out the show a little. Uh, as I said last week, it's almost time to renew the yearly podcast hosting subscription, and it costs some bucks. So uh, I could really use your support. There's also the, my tip cup page there, and uh, you can leave a tip for the show. Come on, every time you go out to a bar, I bet you leave a good tip, right? You're a bartender, aren't you? So give us a tip uh, to keep the show going. I can really use your support. Cheers. All right, let's hear some more with Simon. One of the things I'd like to recommend as you're, uh, as you're trying the whiskeys, first of all, you get your nose into the, into the glass, but part your lips a wee bit like this. When you, well, the alcohol level. Um, with whiskey, you want to cut the alcohol, you want to get to the essence of the, the flavor. And a lot of times the alcohol will mask a lot of those flavors. So, so that's why you won't swirl as spirit. Well, I, right? I, but I swirl. Yeah. But, but I also open my mouth when nosing. Yeah. Some folks say, well, if you do that, you're releasing a lot of the volatiles. But by nosing it with the mouth open, more the flavor, less of the heat. And when you taste it, I always like to recommend placing the glass more towards the middle of the tongue because when you taste at the front, you get the sweet, which is fine, but you're also getting the heat, the alcohol sensors in the front part. So by placing middle of the tongue, more the flavor, less of the burn. I'll offer a toast. May the best you've ever seen be the worst you'll ever see. May a moose never leave your pantry with a teardrop in his e. May you all be hale and hearty to your old enough to dee. I wish all the best as I wish all to be. Slanger. Slanger. I like that toast. Try that middle of the tongue. Makes a difference. Yes, lovely. So this was what? What did we taste first? Uh, this, the first one we tasted was uh, Ardmore Legacy, and uh, the Legacy is the legacy of William Teacher, who was the he was a shopkeeper, and it goes back to the 1850s, um, when uh, actually earlier than that, 1820s, when the whiskies, when it was first made legal, they were bringing all this whiskey down from the hills, but most of it 160 or 180 proof strong for the general public right so as a result of that a lot of shopkeepers were blending teas for their customers hmm. and what they thought they could do is blend these different single malt whiskies that were coming from the men up in the hills right blend those whiskies together and then add into that a new kind of spirit that was being produced through a different kind of distillation technique because single malts made one batch at a time using copper pot stills mm. but an Irishman by the name of Aeneas Coffee created uh, a, what, what he called a well, it was a coffee still but right. uh, a column still it's a continuous still yeah um, so you can shovel in your grain it's usually a corn wheat mix 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks out of the year and produce this neutral grain spirit mm -hmm. you add that in with the more um, idiosyncratic single malts okay. and it blends them all together and it pulls them all together making the whole so greater than the sum. Just, the just, sum. just to go back a little, when yeah. we say single malt, yeah. exactly what are we talking about? Okay, a single malt is a distilled product made from a saccharified and fermented cereal extract implemented only by the enzymes of malted barley. The technical term for it. Okay. But also it is has to be made in Scotland, it has to be made out of pure malted barley at one distillery, distilled... That's the key, isn't it? At one distillery. Correct. A lot of, a lot of people Not, think it comes out of one cask. Exactly, and that's one of the, the bigger misconceptions. Everybody thinks it's all coming out of one barrel. Well, if that was the case, we'd have a lot of... The, the flavor would be much more inconsistent right. because it varies so much from, from barrel to barrel. Right. Um, and so what we, for example... Even, even barrels produced in the same year, exactly. it's stored on the bottom exactly. shelf or the top shelf, it's yeah. going to take different. So right? if we say a Laphroaig 10-year... What, that's a minimum. The age on the bottle of whiskey is the age of the youngest whiskies 
uh, that have gone into that bottling. Right. So for a 10 year we'll have 11, 12, 13 year old whiskies. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to the blending days uh, back in the early 1820s, 1850s. So um, to keep consistency of flavor, in the same way you will with a wine. Sure. You're going to blend barrels to, to maintain a consistency in, right. in the flavor profile. But the difference with the wine, they generally if there's an age statement, they won't blend year to year. Right. Where with Scotch, they with, will. Yes. With spirits, yes, they will, exactly. Yeah. The yeah. minimum age. Yeah. So we also have whiskies that have no age statement, and for us in Scotland, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, okay, good, good. Are you here for the the whiskey oh, tasting? Yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Well, we are. Yeah, oh yeah, we're going to be starting at six o'clock. What time is so it now? It's five forty-three. Oh, we got some time. So you got some time. <laughs> um, but I can listen to what you're Absolutely, saying. you're more than welcome <laughs> to join us. I'm curious about this new thing here, the Ardmore. The, well, we're just talking, we're just talking <laughs> about it here, so I'll pour that. So, where were we? Uh, uh, well, we were talking about single malts and how that's, yeah, uh, there's a lot of misconceptions. A, that doesn't have a year statement on it. No, this is, um, this is an OH statement whiskey. Mm -hmm. um, so, by law, if we were to put an age statement on this, we'd have to call this a six-year-old. Because it's uh, that's the youngest whiskey in Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's got six to 13 year old whiskeys. Yeah. But this goes. Uh, and it's still, but it still is a single malt because it exactly. comes to a single and distillery. And the, the, the story, the way this came about in, in terms of the years and, and um, was that uh, in full production, World War II, all the distilleries in Scotland had to shut down mm. because of the war effort. Some mm -hmm. of them remained open to produce industrial right. alcohol, but for the most part, they all shut down. Just like in the States, right? Yeah. Same thing. Um, one of the first directives after the war was over, Winston Churchill, let's get all the distilleries up and running again. Mm -hmm. Help stimulate the economy. He also yeah. wanted a whiskey go with this yeah. as well. <laughs> but but so it certainly uh, did stimulate the economy. Exactly. <laughs> all of the whiskeys were, the single malts were selling to blenders. Yeah, Blended whiskey so was the, the whiskey of choice for uh, throughout the world. People weren't really looking at single malts as a category. Right. Uh, you know, seventy-five percent of what. So, a, so a blender would would buy whiskey from from all the distilleries from all over Scotland. And it doesn't make it bad necessarily. No, <laughs> no, that's what makes the whiskey yeah. good. Yeah. Today, seventy-five percent of what we produce, we sell as a single malt. Uh, the rest we're going to sell to the blenders. Now, mm. if you look at Ardmore. This Ardmore, the distiller was built in 1898 by the teacher's family okay. of Teacher's Highland Cream Blended Scotch. He became a blender uh, in the 1850s because he saw the opportunities. That was the that became the the spirit, the drink of choice was blended whiskey. Right. Because the other single malts were just too rough and too strong for most. Yeah. So he built the in 1898 he built the Ardmore Distillery for Ardmore to become the key component, the fingerprint malt for Teacher's. Okay. And up until Ardmore was purchased in eight, um, nine years ago by Beam, mm. the prior companies weren't selling Ardmore as a single malt. 99.9% no. .9 of this whiskey was oh. going into blend. Okay. <laughs> Jim Beam comes in and they discover one of the <laughs> largest distilleries, uh, only at 60% capacity, right. with, a, with a great whiskey that is not being sold as a single malt. Right. And you can get independent bottlings of it, but you couldn't buy a commercial bottling of it. And that's when they released Ardmore Traditional Cask. So what happened was there's so much whiskey by the late 1950s, early 60s. One of the companies decided, okay, let's start selling and promoting our whiskey as uh, as a category itself. Yeah. And those first two distilleries were Glenlivet and Glenfiddich. Mm -hmm. 
and they really opened the door for the consumers to under to realize that there was a whole other category. Sorry, what's the timeline here? Nineteen sixties. Okay. And wow. so you know the Rat Pack, they'd roll their yeah. cocktail carts out in the middle <laughs> of the st in the concert, and they'd they'd have a bottle of, of Glenn Levitt or Glenn Fiddick, and yeah. that was when it was mm -hmm. really first people became aware of it. Awareness. Was that product placement. Yeah, <laughs> probably yes, yeah. And you, and they were say and when you think about nineteen sixties, by this point, uh, from the forties. You're talking about 18, 20, 25 year old whiskeys that have been sitting around. So yeah. they had this older whiskey to be able yeah. to promote and sell. Yeah. Um, dipped again in the 70s, in the 80s, Macallan. Macallan 18 year became mm. this iconic yeah. whiskey yeah. spirit. It wasn't even just the whiskey. People would order Macallan 18 not knowing what it, is. What it was, you <laughs> yeah. know. But they just had to have it because yeah. it became one of those brands. Um, it is good. And that again opened <laughs> the, the category again for people realizing the, the different the different styles and the attributes of, of single yeah. malt scotch. Dipped again in the 90s, 2000s single malt suddenly started blossoming again. Yeah. And I attribute that more to the um, the microbrewery right. trends. People are looking for flavor in their beers. Yeah. And what is this but distilled beer? Right. In terms of production, right. it's it's without the hops. Right. Um, and I don't think we're going to see that downward. I think it's just going to keep doing this Although now. There is some competition now with other countries, Japanese whiskey. Absolutely. Things. Well, right. we also represent, we're now owned in April, yes. we were purchased by Suntory. So They're we old. now have <laughs> Yamazaki and Hakushu and Habiki, yeah. amazing Japanese whiskeys that found their origins uh, in a combination of uh, Japanese history as well as Scot Scottish history. Uh, because there was a gentleman by the name of Takasuru who had come across, learned how to make it, came over. At the same time, Shinjiro Tori, who of Suntory fame, uh, he was a wine merchant and he wanted to start making whiskies uh, as, um, uh, as the borders opened. And so as a result, he started the Yamazaki distillery. Uh, first liquid uh, t uh, was 1928. Is that right? And people think that it's a new, yeah. <laughs> a new spirit. It's been around since the 1920s. Wow, no idea. Um, so, and they have beautiful stills. It is not Japanese scotch. Yeah. It is Japanese, Japanese whiskey. whiskey. Yeah. Japanese yeah. barley whiskey, but it's also blends as well. Mm -hmm. So the concept of peat. I heard you talking earlier with someone else. It, it can be pine. It can be. It well, can be made with the, the, different the peat, things. The peat is all the organic material of the region that lives, dies, decomposes, and becomes basically So compost. is there any restriction on what it can be, what, it, what it's made out of? What it, it can be anything? No. It, <laughs> anything it, organic? It could be anything organic. Is that right? It, oh. um, and the, the largest um, peat beds in the world are in Finland, but you get them up in northern Germany, um, Denmark, Canada's got 25% of the world's peat supplies. At that latitude globally, you get a lot of rainfall you get a lot of vegetation. Vegetation okay. lives, dies, decomposes. But the vegetation from region to region will give you different flavors. Simon got a little distracted by uh, some new guests arriving at the tasting, and uh, I felt like uh, we didn't get a good explanation of what peat really is. I put this together uh, based on a couple different websites. Peat is partially decayed vegetation or organic matter that has accumulated in a water-saturated environment in the absence of oxygen. 
So it's harvested in bogs usually in, in swampy areas and it looks like a brick or it looks like coal in the shape of a brick when they cut it after they cut it. Um, so, so they'll take that and then burn it, right? We, we Set it on fire? four peat cutters who hand cut 200 ton of peat a year and they dig 18 inch vertical bricks. So you dig, here's the top of the bog here, you can walk along the top. Yeah. You dig this section and you put that away uh, off to the side because it's still green growing vegetation. It's like so let um, it dry. It's like uh, sod. Right. Right. Yeah, Take that top yeah. section, put that away, and then you're going to dig another 18 inches uh, vertical bricks, and you work in teams of two. One man cuts, the other man stacks. <laughs> okay. Long bricks, you know, um, a little bit thinner than this, but you know, this is that's a that's a block there that's been dried. Oh. And then if you dig lower, you get a hotter fire, and that's what the locals will use to heat the homes and cook with. But we want the top 18 inches because that's a smokier fire. There's more moisture in it. Okay. So we then stack it in the field for uh, from basically late late winter to um, early fall. Okay. It's dried enough then now to use to dry the barley. So. For us at Lafroig, we take seven tons of grain on our top floor. We then roll it, uh, let it grow for two days, and then lay it out on a concrete floor like this and grow for six days. And by the end of six days, it has a consistency of sprouts. So that's the malting process. This is this is the malting process, right? So then we shovel it into a room about 20 by 20. It's like a smokehouse. The floor is perforated, so the barley can't fall through it. So you got a foot thick of barley just sitting on the top there. And then from down below, our fuel source is peat. So have a taste of that. Eat this? Yeah, why not? You're going to drink it, right? So you'll get a nice malty, sugary sweetness. And then you get that smoky finish. And here's where it comes from. Here's the peat. Look at that. So we talk about whiskey being 15, 18 hours over the peat fires. Stops the barley from growing. And then we grind the barley down, mash it, ferment it, distill it. But when we talk about whiskey being smoky and peaty, Mm. That's where it comes from. Wow. And as I was saying, the peat from different regions will give you different flavors. This is baby coal. This is young coal. Yeah. That's the top layer of it, right? All right. Okay. So, um, but the flavors from the different regions of the different vegetation that lives in different regions. The same way you smoke meat with different kinds of woods, mm -hmm. applewood, hickory, mesquite, yeah, that's yeah. going to give you different flavors. The peat from the different regions will give you different flavors. And depending on how damp it is, in the highlands it's a drier climate, so it doesn't take as long to dry the barley. Here on Isla, windswept and stormy, most of the year round, it takes longer to dry the barley. Plus, the peat is a damper peat, so it, it's this cumulative effect of a smokier, uh, peatier barley, which is then you grind it down, mash it, ferment it, make a, make a smoky beer, and then distill it in your copper pot stills, and then age it in oak barrels. Interesting. For a minimum of three years. Minimum of three years. So, as we say, and this is six up to 13 years, but we also have whiskeys here. This is our 10-year cask strength. This is uh, our 15-year, uh, the brand new Laphroaig 15-year, and uh, Laphroaig 18-year. All of these have been aged in bourbon. And how about, how about this say one? cash grain. What do you mean by that? Well, our standard 10-year uh, water's added to bring it down to is bottling it, strength. Is this the standard 10? Or this is, no, this is 10-year cask strength. Oh, it's it's, it is different. So it isn't, this isn't your regular 10 No, cask strength, no water's added. We've just married barrels to create this batch, and this is batch number six.
I'll break in here again just to clarify what we're talking about because it was a good question the guy standing next to me asked about cask strength and it's uh, generally a whiskey will age in the barrel at uh, as high as 70% alcohol or 140 proof or generally a little lower than that about around 120, 130 um, and then once it's taken out of the wooden cask water's added before it's bottled to bring it down from whatever it was in the barrel say 130 proof down to about 80 proof or whatever it's going to be bottled at so now this is cast strength so it's what 116 proof it varies or from batch to batch or uh, and this one is uh, this is batch number six and it's at 116 it's 58 percent wow okay 58 percent gentlemen how are you doing this evening very good thanks welcome welcome thank you thank you and your regular <laughs> 10 is just 40%, right? 43% here 43, in the U.S., 40% 43. in Europe. Ardmore was one of the last distilleries to still have a coal-fired still, meaning that it was heated, the still was heated from down below by coal fires, but... What are most heated with... Now today, uh, pretty much all steam, internal steam coils, because open fire, alcoholic fumes, right. to explosions, explosive situation. Um, and the unique thing for for this Ardmore is this uses a combination of peated and unpeated uh, whiskey. Ardmore is our peated that's made at the Ardmore Distillery. They also make an unpeated whiskey called Ardlair. Um, oh. And Ardlair is the name of the standing stone just outside the distillery. So this is a very soft, beautifully approachable Highland whiskey, uh, lovely caramel. A, a lot, very yeah, sweet yeah. yeah, and the classic Highland style is that floral honey sweetness. If you look at the regions of Scotland, um, you've got the, the lowlands of Scotland below Glasgow and Edinburgh, and this is known as the Garden of Scotland. The whiskies from these regions are very light in style, grain, grassy notes. Ockintosh uh, is a classic example of a lowland whisky. There's a lot of calcium carbonate in the water, a lot of chalk, so it's a very dry whisky. You taste the, the whisky, the, the taste is gone almost immediately. So um, they're great for blending purposes. We're talking about back in, back in the blending days. Also, uh, the, the, thing, the, the proximity of the lowlands to England was much more convenient because the Highlanders scared the hell out of the English <laughs> and they didn't want to go north of the Highland line. Uh, so perfect, we're not going to go any higher than that, we'll just stay. But, so, but the lowland whiskey's uh, lighter in style. You go north of Glasgow and Edinburgh, the land changes, the topography changes, you get more mountains and valleys, more highs and lows, so you get more highs and lows in the whiskies. So the Highland style is the largest region in Scotland, and that's more of a floral honey notes, which you get from the heather, which is predominantly in the Highland regions. Within the Highlands, there's a smaller sub-region known as the Speyside. Let me pour some more uh, whiskey for folks here. Um, the Speyside region was the first region to have the first licensed distillery in Scotland. Um, and so uh, because of that, there were many other distillers that popped up in this region. You're talking about 45 of the over 100 distilleries in Scotland are found in that region today. Many of them beside the River Spey, hence the name Speyside. Mm. The Speysides are more herbal in their style in comparison to the floral style of the what Highlands. Are the, what are some of the names we'd recognize from that area? Macallan, Glenlivet, Fiddick, you know, all the, all, all the big ones there. <laughs> okay. I'm going to pour you folks some uh, Ardmore from the Highlands to start. this. Now, this is the sister distillery to Lafroig. So here's the toast. My heart's in the Heelands, my heart is not here. 
My heart's in the Helens, a chasing the deer, a chasing the wild deer, a following the roe. My heart's in the Helens, wherever I go. To the Helens. Slanja. Yes. Celebrate Tartan Week, New York. <laughs> cheers, cheers. cheers. We, we were talking about Speyside, and then you got the islands up to the north. Uh, in the Orkneys, you've got Highland Park and Scapa. Um, and on the Isle of Skye here, Talisker. But uh, what we'll be tasting from this evening is from the island of Isla, 3,000 people, 3,200 people, eight <laughs> distilleries. It's also known as the Happy Island. Uh, we make a lot of whiskey on Isla. And this part of Scotland is very similar to the Pacific Northwest. So if you think about the storms that are hitting up along the Oregon coast and Washington and British Columbia, same thing's happening here on the west coast of Scotland. Um, so it takes longer to dry the barley to make the whiskey. It's a, the, the whiskey is a product of its environment. As well as when you think about the people living on this island, it's raining 320 days a year horizontally. <laughs> you need a bigger bodied whiskey, you know? I mean, the climate dictates the style of the spirit. Uh, you know, whether it's tequila in Mexico or, or a highland versus a lowland. Uh, you know, the lowlands are much lighter style. It's, a, it's a, an easier way of life down there. We call the, the, the lowland whiskeys the lowland ladies. We also call them a breakfast dram in terms of the style. You know. Lafroig is your Wheaties in the morning. It's a big, if you, you, want, you want a bigger style, uh, definitely Lafroig will be that. Um, Funny, so, the, there's this concept of terroir that you hear about a, a lot with wine, and you don't hear about it with spirits much, but in Scotland, it, it applies, it really applies. It, it really does, <laughs> in terms of, yes, terroir, because for us, you talk about PD whiskies, um, and the whole top shelf of the island of Isla is a peat bog. It's grass and plants and moss, so the, there might be a sheep in here that lives and dies, <laughs> it all adds to the flavor of it. Another group of people arrived, and I uh, turned off the audio recorder for a bit. But Simon had us do something interesting, which I had never seen before. He had us uh, put a drop of whiskey in our in our hands and rub our hands together and smell that. And it was a, really actually a great way to uh, to smell the to get the aromas of that, of that whiskey. Like I said, I had never done that before, but uh, I'll do it in the future. All right, another toast coming up. And here's the toast. Oh, and when we taste, here's the other tip. Uh, place a glass more towards the middle of the tongue because when you're sipping at the front, you get the sweet, but you also get the heat. And um, there's some, this is cask strings. So here's the toast. Here's a bottle and an honest man. What would you wish for more? <laughs> Who knows when his life may end, what his share may be a care. Then catch the moments as they fly and use them as you ought. Believe me, happiness is shy and comes not always when sought. Slanja, cheers. cheers. Try that, middle of the tongue. And as you're tasting tonight, try front, try middle. You get two very different well, I experiences. Can, I can tell the difference immediately. Yeah, because here's the thing for me. I travel about, I'm doing 10,000 miles a month North America. 90% of America broke into their father's liquor cabinet when they were 12, drank a bottle of scotch, and swore never to touch it ever again. <laughs> That's what I'm up against, right? And that first bad experience comes back when they do this. Oh, you know? And the second, when they taste it, and they taste it in the front of the mouth, and, and all that burning, we want this to be a pleasurable experience. Um, so there's, and the other thing with this is add water to it. If you're finding this is too big, too heavy, add some water to it. You find the flavor in these whiskeys that you enjoy. They're, this, they have an amazing selection of whiskey here at Brandy Library. And each one will react differently to water, to each one of you here. So it's really a matter of finding the, the right percentage of water to whiskey for you with each one of them. So, you know, it's too often, I travel, north. You know, oh yeah, plug your nose, shoot it back, wait for the burn. 
what's the fun in that? It takes, you know, 10 years to make this whiskey. I asked you to take more than 10 seconds to enjoy it. So add the water, find the flavor in it, because water is your friend. It opens it up. You know, if you just think about it, it releases a lot of those, those flavors, those aromatics. Think about after a summer rain, the aromatics in the air that have been released because of, of that moisture. Same thing's going to happen. Now, you, you only overwater your whiskey once, but <laughs> it's a good way just to find the different flavors. Water's been added, well, it hasn't been added to this one, but most of them water's been added, you know. And just, if you just think about the name whiskey comes from Ushkebeha, meaning water of life back in the Gaelic and over the years it was shortened from Ushkaveha just to Ushke and then anglicized morphed from Ushka into whiskey so when you're ordering whiskey you're actually ordering water in the Gaelic language but are we ordering whiskey with an E or not? Are we, are we whiskey with an E or without an E? Well we prefer it without the E because back in the day when they were first commercially producing them you had to pay by the letter when you're labeling it so you're thrifty Scots we'll pull, we'll pull those letters out we don't need, we don't need that E oh, screw I it! I thought it was because we don't want to waste time uh, adding that extra letter we want to spend time you think we take the H out as well then you know <laughs> right. Hi, how are you doing? Good. Um, I'm gonna start you with some uh, some okay. Highland whiskey Thank you. with Ardmore. So, do we have any official friends of Laphroaig here? Official friends? Yes. Ah, what does it mean? So, when you purchase a bottle, in every tube of Laphroaig there's a brochure. Do not throw this away. This history, tasting notes, but most importantly, there is a code. You put this code in on the Laphroaig website, and then we send you a certificate making you the proud landowner of a square foot of land on the island of Isla. Come to visit your plot, we put you in a pair of wellies, give you a flag from your country, shove you out into the field, and you go find your plot and stake your claim to your clan and your country. It's a great program, keeps you in touch with what's going on, you get, plus you get invitations from myself as brand ambassador uh, the next time I'm doing events here in the New York area. Um, and if the economy tanks here, you know you got a place to live in Scotland, right? <laughs> One square foot. Yeah, it's a simple life, a bottle of Ferragian to anchor you against the wind. But it really is a great program, and um, most times folks they're more interested in drinking. They open the bottle, they want to get right to opening and get to the whiskey, and they usually just chuck this. But hold on to this. And um, we do get some people who buy so many, you know, eventually the island will be mine. Um, but you only get one square foot. But you can apply additional purchases. Um, you put the codes from the, uh, each, each new code, you can put it towards your plot, and you get points towards purchasing items on the Laphroaig website. So don't, don't throw these away. Okay. Do you pay real estate taxes? No, you, you, you come and claim your rent once you come, each time you come, and it's a, you get a miniature of Laphroaig uh, each time. So. And you can make yourself lord of your, your square foot or king of your square foot, whatever, whatever you want to do. And from there, we went on to drink some lovely 18-year-old scotch. But we're going to wrap up the show for this week. Again, my name is Brian Vincent Weber. And remember, the website is bartenderjourney.net. Please go there and leave a tip or buy one of the products you see by clicking through the links on my website. You'll help support the show. Won't cost you any extra if you buy something. I'd appreciate it. I got podcasting bills to pay. You can find me on Twitter at barkeeptips. And feel free to email me for any reason, vince.bartender at gmail.com. Go to Facebook and search for Bartender Journey and like the page. Hey, I'll talk to you next time on Bartender Journey. Cheers. <laughs>